Welcome to the IoT Idols podcast. I'm Ryan Cousins, co-founder and CEO of Critical. We help bring bleeding-edge technology products to market through a combination of hardware and software modules and professional engineering services. We believe every innovator has a powerful collection of experiences and knowledge that can help inspire others in their field. If you have a story you'd like to share, stick around at the end of the show and we'll explain how you can be a guest on one of our upcoming episodes. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you could be the next IoT Idol. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another great episode of IoT Idols Innovators to Watch presented by Critical. I'm your host, Mike Freeman. With us today, we have a great guest. His name is Andrew Johnson, and he is the owner of Shelf Aware LLC. You can find out more information about Andrew and his company at shelfawarevmi.com. That's Shelf Aware. The letter V is in Victor, M is in Michael, I is in interesting.com. Very good. <laughs> Thanks for coming yeah. on the show today, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. This will be fun. Yeah. Uh, is that your home office we're looking at? No, this is actually uh, my office office and cool. uh, lucked into this great background uh, just by happenstance. So COVID hit and then I started doing a lot more virtual and everybody said, hey, man, fa- fantastic office background. And I thank my wife for that. She uh, picked out all my office furniture from Ikea and then I had to assemble it all. So that was kind of terrible, but yeah, <laughs> looks nice. It looks very nice. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Shelfaware and what is it, what it is your company does. Sure. So Shelfaware uh, automates industrial B2B supply chains by leveraging smart packaging. Uh, we're an industrial IoT company as opposed to some of your consumer industrial or consumer IoT companies. Um, we've been around for a couple of years and we have a fascinating uh, entrepreneurial growth story. We, we grew out of a family business that was already in the marketplace, an industrial distributor who was looking to do better vendor managed inventories. And that's what VMI stands for in our website. And that's synonymous with this old school approach to suppliers partnering with large consumers, typically factories, to keep them in stock of all the little tiny inbound supply chain parts like nuts and bolts and fasteners and um, gaskets and lubricants and you know all the stuff that you would use to build these crazy contraptions like motors and pumps and industrial products. That make our lives go round. Um, we had this archaic vendor managed inventory solutions deployed for the last 30, 40 years. And our company came along and said, there has to be a better way. Why are we not leveraging the internet? Why are we not leveraging um, more magical technology that exists out there? And so we looked at RFID, it's our main data collector, and started to deploy smart packaging as a means of capturing consumption data at the factory floor remotely. And we started doing that in 2015. Awesome. Yeah. And the family business story is, is the most fun part. Um, it's three, it's my three brother-in-laws. So I don't have any, I don't have any actual brothers. Um, okay. So I have three sisters and they, they picked very entrepreneurial guys. And then uh, somewhere around 2012, we all started working together in the family company, this industrial distributor and started working on the company instead of in it in sure. 2012 with the advent of a new ERP system, which is terrible, terrible terrible thing. You never want to put a new ERP system in. (laughs) But it taught us a ton of stuff. Most importantly, that our data is the most important thing. And that was the start of our, what I call innovation journey that led us down a path of incremental innovation, where we started making internal innovations 
just to help our own company's proficiencies and efficiencies in, internally operate better, be more accurate, solve problems for employees, uh, you know, dismantle bottlenecks that were happening. And then that led basically to a three or four year journey that led to us inventing Shelfware, which is an external innovation that that helps us add value to our customers by by monitoring their inventory consumption and then using that consumption data to drive replenishment. So, awesome. Uh, we love success stories. Um, you have a specific story. Maybe it's even a, a story of failure. Uh, maybe your aha moment uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yeah, I can back up the train a little bit and go through a bit of the journey because uh, sure. there was plenty of failures and there were plenty of aha moments. Um, the big Great. aha, the light bulb went off for us in 2012 when we were doing this ERP install. We had a, a good friend of ours come in and um, he's a data architect from another industry, um, but we knew him from working with him previously. And he came in and we we're in the middle of this ERP uh, transition and we we're going to have uh, some outside data analysts come in from the ERP company and do a lot of the data transition and heavy lifting. And he said, that's so foolish. Your data is your most important thing. You boys need to figure it out. You need to figure out your data. You need to clean it up yourselves. You need to transition it into your new ERP, do all the data mapping, which is basically taking data from the old system and telling it where to put it in the new system. And um, we said, well, you're crazy because you know, we don't have any of those skill sets. Um, I was an accountant uh, I have a bachelor's in accounting. My oldest brother-in-law, who's now the, the the nerd of the the family, he's a master's in physical education. So he's a PE teacher before he started working for us. And then uh, my other brother-in-law, Jay, who's kind of the innovative one amongst us, he um, he has no college degree. So, and then my, my other brother-in-law is most highly qualified, Evan. He's a mechanical engineer, but he certainly doesn't know anything about, you know, computer coding, data sure. analytics, uh, so we jumped in with the help of this friend who was luckily a, a bachelor, <laughs> had a lot of free time. And um, that was our aha moment. We did realize that he was true and accurate, that our data is incredibly important. And it's, even as a small company, if we can better understand how the data moves our people's decisions and how it influences their processes, we can make them more efficient, more accurate, uh, solve problems for the company. That was 2012. That was the big aha moment. Uh, we had plenty of, of failures. Most of the failures in innovation and incremental innovation come with managing the people. I think that's the hardest part of all of it. And so we did a pretty poor job early on of, of onboarding our employees who were dear to us and fantastic people, but had done some things the same way for a long time. And we came in and just um, wrecked, <laughs> wrecked their world, you know, would destroy processes that they knew and believed in and trusted, and we would burn them to the ground and just rip things out. And, and sometimes and this was our biggest failure. We didn't have necessarily anything in mind to replace it. We just knew this process stunk and, we're, and it was terrible and we we're going to burn it. And that was my brother-in-law, Jay. He was mainly the, the arsonist in, in this equation. So he would just stomp around the back in the warehouse and say, this is awful. And he'd wreck a whole bunch of stuff and tear it. And, and Adam and I would be like, well, how are we going to do it better? Well, I don't know, but it's got to be better. So that was messy, and, and we could have done it much more, uh, much less messy if we had a, a better approach. And so now I do some teaching around approach, how how you can approach the whole equation a lot more gracefully, and leave your employees on board, help them to become internal champions uh, through a series of early wins. But um, most of our failures were just about basically launching prematurely into a new project without a, a great plan. 
and it would hurt people's morale, uh, their confidence in us. Ultimately, it all worked out, and it's it's been fantastic for our company. But it was it was a bumpy road to get there because we were young and ambitious and naive, and in a lot of ways, and reckless in some ways. So that um, initial aha moment then turned into our our big first. This is like reminded me of critical when I was listening to the the number one pod, the first podcast episode that Ryan Cousins was on. He was describing Critical's embedded uh, technology platform. And it sounded very similar to uh, what we found in our first IoT innovation, which was an internal innovation. We took um, in, in the dis- distribution world, if you're selling a lot of small parts as a distributor, you're buying in large quantities and then you're selling in small quantities. Right. So right after our ERP win, we, we realized the power of data had picked up some skills. My oldest brother started writing software, small stuff like Microsoft SQL, uh, little data automation pieces, uh, visual basics, very Java, some very basic code, but making little baby programs for our company to use internally. And then we set our sights on our first IoT innovation, which was taking a counting scale, which is a, a, a scale, uh, has a way note on there, and you throw some parts on the scale, and then you tell the scale how many parts are on there through the sample counting process. And the scale will actually then knows what each piece weighs, and then you can add additional parts to the scale, and the scale readout will tell you how many parts are on the scale. Um, Very cool. As a distributor, you know, you, you buy huge quantities, 5,000 of some little widget, and then you sell it 100 at a time, 300 at a time, 400 at a time. Right. So you got to count out these small quantities. So those counting skills haven't changed in forever. They've worked the same way off the sample counting process. But as a distributor of engineered product uh, and, and some commodity product, we sell a lot of the same widgets over and over and over again. So my brother-in-law, Jay, said, surely there's a counting scale out there that can store piece weights. So we looked into that. And there, there were, they could store like, you know, 500 piece weights internally to the scale's memory. Um, but we said, well, that's, that's silly because we have, you know, 10,000 SKUs in stock right now. So that's not nearly enough memory internally. And, and we want it networked anyway. Like if, if we'd store the piece weights in our database that our ERP runs off of, that would be much better than, than storing little siloed chunks of data on each counting scale and shipping because we had three, three different counting scales. So we took a, a Raspberry Pi. And we put the Raspberry Pi inside the unintelligent counting scale that was unable to be networked with other devices. And then that counting scale then was networkable. So we networked the Raspberry Pi to other Raspberry Pis uh, and the other counting scales. And then ultimately those all talked to our our ERP uh, database behind the scenes. So not really going through the ERP's front end, but going through the back end of the database ODBC, which is kind of like a backdoor in to drop piece weights into the ERP and one particular field we decided to occupy. So that led to our first invention, which was a, a smart counting scale. The user interface was an app. We love mobile apps. I think they're really underutilized in the industrial landscape, and that's going to be a big boom in the coming years. You're going to see a lot of industrial apps getting developed because everybody loves smartphones and they're sure. probably the most powerful computer we interact with. But um, we used uh, an app, an Android app, to interface with the Raspberry Pi and allow uh, the shipping guys and gals to pick the parts. They would scan a, a small QR code that we placed on the product that would input the part number and lot number into the counting scale. The counting scale would then go to the server, look for a stored piece weight. If it had been previously counted, it would find one, pull it into the scale and no more sample counts. So we saved like four and a half minutes, I think, or three minutes on every line item shipped in a daily basis. And so that bottleneck just disappeared overnight. So our shippers became wildly more accurate 
uh, from accounting standpoint, because they made lots of mistakes in the sample counts. So no more mistakes and in sample counting. And then from a, just an efficiency standpoint, it was the process went from like a three or four minute sample count, tedious hand counting product to a, like just using an, an Android phone going beep, beep, scan, scan, dump. It was great. That was our first invention, like a real invention. And then that, that, you know, that led to shelf aware, which was us setting our sites a little higher. Hey, hey, can we invent a system um, that monitors remotely our, our customers consumption of the inventory that we sell them? Uh, so we'll know what they have on their shelf. We'll be aware of their shelf quantities. And we looked at the RFID industry. I don't know, Mike, are you familiar with RFID? Uh, radio frequency identification. Very good. Yes. Okay. So the technology has been around a really long time. Sure. Um, it just uses radio waves. A lot of your listeners would, would understand it better if you called it Bluetooth. Right. Um, there's, there's certain subsects of the, of the RFID industry that have been commercialized quite successfully uh, that we know and use. Your hotel key card, now the new ones that you just tap to the, to the door are a form of RFID. Um, all your Samsung and Apple Pay, that's all forms of RFID called right. NFC or near field communication. But um, we looked at RFID in 2015 as just a more graceful way, a more easy way, uh, a more magical way for the, the folks on the factory floor to interact with inventory consumption. Because um, the, the current systems deployed, a lot of them used barcodes, which are just visual. You know, you have to scan everyone with a barcode right. scanner. And the guys on the, the factory floor, like we'd worked with them my whole life. I, I grew up with a lot of those guys running parts to their factory and I knew, you know, what their priorities were, and they certainly weren't inventory management. I mean, they were graded on how many products they assemble and the quality of those assemblies on the factory floor. And their last thought was stupid little parts on their shelf. That's kind of the way they, they thought of them, but sure. they didn't care until they ran out. And then if they ran out of some O-ring that cost two pennies and shut the whole plant down, it was a disaster. Right, um, right. And so anyway, that's where VMIs were born. Big factories, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, they created these relationships with with very important and key suppliers. And they said, look, it's such a bear. It's such a nightmare to manage this complex inbound supply chain of yours. Uh, how about you guys just manage it and you just charge us a little bit more? Um, and then for 30, 40 years, the industrial marketplace basically just used people in trucks driving around. They would drive on site. You would visually look at all the inventory and say, oh, they need a little bit more of this, need a little bit more of that. And that's what we were doing as a company and we hated it. And we had just solved that counting scale, you know, bottleneck. And we said like, Hey, here's our next goal. We're going to get the guys that are driving around our area and trucks going to our customers' locations, spending enormous amounts of time visually scanning or barcode scanning inventory. And we're going to get them back in the office, in the warehouse, and they'll be much more efficient because uh, we won't have them driving around everywhere. We'll remotely monitor that consumption. So that's great. Yeah, looked at looked at RFID, leveraged it. Um, we didn't know how to deploy it necessarily. We thought maybe we could put it on like inventory bins, make the bin smart. Well, no, that's that's silly because then you have to manage all these bins. Now they're an asset, right. um, and and you have to make sure that the right parts are in the right bin. Well, how are we going to like make sure the the tags associated with the correct part every time? We can't really let like leave any room for errors on the consumer side of things when inventory shows up there and it's going to sit there for months. What if it gets unorganized and messed up? So that's when we landed on this idea of smart packaging. Just make the bag, the box, the tote, the crate, the pallet. I mean, whatever material we ship them, however we ship it, make the actual packaging 
uh, be the IoT device. So that'll be the data collector. That'll be the smart thing. Then we deploy a little fixed reader on their factory floor that monitors the movement of these RFID tags from a distance. And um, it, it's magical because the blue collar folks can, they can grab what they need and just go back to work real quickly. They could grab a hundred little items, put them in a tote, walk past our station and every little item, all 105 items, the data gets sucked off the tags. Now the supplier knows in real time that 105 of those widgets walked away, 105 different widgets walked away from the inventory area that might be States away or, you know, in another country. Right. And then you can, um, you can make sure you resupply them. So we just match, match supply with demand basically. So we don't make any guesses. We just send them what they used, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and then over time, we use the the data, the consumption data to to more efficiently stock the inventory. So we just try and provide them very lean quantities across the board, but not too lean. We promise them no stockouts. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So what's your what's your process for innovation uh, inside the company? Is it mastermind meetings? Uh, uh, how do you guys go about figuring out what the next project or how to make what you're doing better? Yeah, our process is probably not one you'd want to model uh, with the brothers in a small company. So there's, uh, and it's hard to reference people's company size a lot, but um, I'd call us kind of a small to medium sized business now at this point. So there's there's the four boys, and then there's about 15 employees. Okay. Um, we have a single location in Kansas City that'll do about, uh, well, they're on pace to do like maybe 12 to 13 million in revenue uh, this year. Um, and then they have these, these shelf war deployments all over the country. Um, and that runs about a third, well, maybe a little less than a third of their revenue runs on shelfware at my family business. Um, but our our innovation process at a company that size is pretty informal. And I would guess that most companies that size would have a really in- informal innovation process. And I've never heard your term, you know, mastermind meetings, but that would I think that'd be like a fair, a fair way to put it. I mean, we okay. somebody gets angry about something. They're frustrated with a process in the warehouse. So he'll come and complain to me or my brother, Adam. And then um, we'll take the complaint, look at his complaint or her complaint, uh, field the complaint, and then um, might all get together in the room if if one of us deems the complaint like worthy of a deeper dive. Right. We explore the complexities of the process, why they had an individual that might be uh, in the front office, why why she is complaining about a process that's leading to what she says is mistakes or problems. And so like, and we found that like everybody's perspective is different. So what they deem a problem that needs innovation might just be a problem that, you know, we necessarily can't innovate around or come up with any slick solution without causing more problems. And so sure. we have this, you know, like you said, mastermind meeting, maybe get on a whiteboard. It's our favorite tool and draw out um, the process flow and try and figure out a, all the different inputs Okay, if we change this, what is that going to have any ripple effects here, there, or other places? Um, and then we would come up with like, we always had a short list of innovation projects that we had deemed like, okay, these had made the list. They're, they warrant um, a better system, a change in process, maybe an innovation um, in regards of like, maybe we should write a piece of code. Maybe we should deploy a mobile app feature. Uh, maybe we should write a piece of VB script and host a, a little program on people's PCs you know, that interacts with the ERP better. Um, and, and we'd always have a running list and we we would prioritize that list and then try and tackle projects sometimes simultaneously, but, but usually just one by one. Um, because we found that once we tackled one, we'd sometimes make a few more problems that we'd have to fix <laughs> before we could go on to the next 
the next one on the list. Um, today, though, what I teach uh, at some symposiums and conferences, like we just had one called the University of Innovative uh, Distributors. It was in Indiana. Well, this year was virtual, but it's where distributors of all different product verticals, but mostly industrial distributors, um, electrical, plumbing, you got guys distributing like HVAC units. They come and it's just a great mind meld of ideas where you have speakers like myself that uh, have a lot of real world experience uh, working in the trenches. And we bring this practical approach to innovation. Um, and, and most of my talk revolves around like, hey, guys, like don't overcomplicate it. Um, let's let's leverage the, the stuff you have on hand. Let's look at mobile apps, Android and Apple. Uh, mobile apps are cheap and effective. Um, let's not try and always hit the home run. Like incremental innovation is very much about building on top of a foundation of many wins uh, to get you around the bases. And I use a baseball analogy. So, hey, let's just make it to first base with a couple short wins. And then let's get a few more innovation wins and get to second base. That's how we're going to keep our team motivated and our employees on board and happy with the process. And so that's that's mostly what I, I teach is it, it's a lot different than you might hear uh, in books or some podcasts uh, or some blogs. Uh, I mean, I think the media, especially like mainstream media, takes entrepreneurship and innovation and invention, and they look at like those giant wins, you know, like right. um, these two guys sit around and came up with PayPal. And yeah, uh, yeah. Was that and, easy. Oh, yeah, it was that easy. And overnight, they revolutionized online payments. And then one of them spun off and just decided to make an electric car. And boom, he's got Tesla. It's like, yeah, it's not. I mean, those happen. Uh, they call them in the investment world unicorns uh, for a reason. They just don't happen very much. I mean, they're that magical invention uh, that's beautifully scalable. And honestly, like that, that whole rocket ship unicorn thing didn't really exist until I don't think it really existed very, very much until uh, computers came around and, and, and you could take digital innovations that scale much faster as opposed to physical ones. Sure. Um, and then you could see them go much faster. So yeah, I try and keep people grounded, you know, set their expectations. Hey, I mean, if you can just make your business 5% more efficient, you're going to, your bottom line is going to grow immensely. So right. yeah. That's great. Well, the show is IoT Idols, uh, Innovators to Watch. And on behalf of our listeners, I always appreciate uh, companies like yourselves, innovators like yourselves who uh, create this technology that makes our lives easier, uh, businesses more efficient, and it just frees up time for us to do other stuff. That's what I always try and tell people. Uh, you know, this technology, uh, whatever it is, it might not be the greatest thing today, but think of what it can do down the road or someone like yourself who can take a technology and make it better and more useful. Um, that's amazing. So we, we are glad that shelf aware exists and that they're making life as well as business easier. Uh, is there anything else you'd uh, like to mention uh, before well, we're almost out of time? We're almost out of time. Um, I don't know. If I could just inspire people to get messy, uh, I think, again, like back to that, that not misunderstanding, but misconception we have about how easy it's going to be, sure. uh, you know, and I didn't get real deep into the weeds on some of our failures, just told you that we did a poor job with people. Um, and as, as, as a tech entrepreneur, like I, I love people and you have to continue to care about them and your approach 
but it is messy. So somehow you have to walk that fine line between um, innovating, uh, using technology, but not forgetting about the people in the process um, and make sure that the good folks uh, are on board and come along with your journey because you need them. Uh, inevitably, the best organizations have the best people. Uh, and along the way, they probably make some really good technology. So that's what I would encourage everybody with, or kind of our parting thought, words of wisdom, uh, is, is care about the people. Uh, you need them along for the journey and you'll be better off for it. Awesome. Yeah. So thank um, you for the, thank you for the opportunity today. Yeah. Short absolutely. And sweet. Love it. Uh, can you tell everybody, Andrew, where they can find out more about yourself and shelf aware? Yeah. If you're a, an industrial consumer or supplier and you'd like to learn more about the shelf aware system and how it automates B2B supply chains, uh, Mike mentioned our website at shelfwarevmi.com. Uh, but honestly, uh, coming from a small business perspective, it's hard to keep up with our web- website. So our best information and probably the easiest way to onboard people to the concept is our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and search shelf aware, all one word, shelf aware, just one word, plug that in, you'll find our shelf aware YouTube channel. We host a whole series of really short format videos, two to three minutes on every topic about shelfware. You'll see more of my um, my big head uh, on the video, uh, referencing and using the system in the real world out there on the factory floor. And that's probably the easiest place for you to um, figure out what it is we do and if we can be of assistance to you. Excellent. Yeah, I'm going to check out the YouTube channel as well. Uh, visual aids always uh, make it easier to interpret. So they do help. Uh, yep. Thank you, Andrew Johnson from Shelf Aware. Uh, that's shelfawarevmi.com. And uh, like Andrew just said, go to YouTube, Shelf Aware, check out some of his videos. Appreciate your time today. Great guests, great conversation. And uh, to all of our listeners, we'll catch you on the next episode of IoT Idols, Innovators to Watch. Hey, this is Critical CEO Ryan Cousins again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Idols podcast. If you're an accomplished engineer, inventor, product manager, or technology entrepreneur, and would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please go to critical.com slash podcast slash apply. That's K-R-T-K-L dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or share it on social media and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone you'd like to have us interview, let them know about the show or tag them on social media using the hashtag IoT Idols. We're always looking for great guests eager to share their stories with our audience. We're regularly posting new episodes, so make sure you subscribe to our podcast, follow us on social media, and join our mailing list at critical.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be excellent. Be excellent.